Well, good morning. Um, another beautiful day today. Um, I am following from where Chad left off last week in the teaching of Galatians. So the scriptures I will be covering today are Galatians 5, verse 25 and 26, and Galatians 6, verse 1 to 10. So I'm uh, going to start with verse 25, which says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And the best way I can define that or go over that is to go back over the last couple weeks where Chad has been teaching earlier in this chapter and just read verses 13 to 24 which gives us a great definition and a great sense of what that means living by the Spirit. So if you have your Bibles, I'm actually going to just read from Galatians 5, 13 through. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you were led by the spirit, you were not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So Paul makes very clear the difference between walking in the flesh and walking in the spirit. Uh, we have a choice to live a life of the spirit or a life of the flesh. We have free will to make that determination. They are opposite each other. Following the spirit leads to life. Following the flesh leads to death. As I was have been preparing this message and thinking about the journey, which by the way, walking together in our journey is the title. Um, I I've been remind, thinking about myself as a runner, uh, running long distances, because there's some 
I just noticed as I've gone through there's some similarities and differences between our Christian journey and running a long race. Um, so, for example, in a race, if, I, if a runner decides to not follow the directions and go a different way, if they're directing you this way and go this way, um, that you're gonna, this, it's not a good thing. Um, and when you're running your own path instead of the designated directions, it's, you're gonna, the runner is going to become lost, not finishing, ending up empty and defeated. And the thing is that can happen to us in our spiritual journey as well. Bad choices and simply doing what we want to do can put us in significant trouble. You know, you may be in that place today. But one of the big differences between running the race and going off direction in our journey is God can always bring us back. We may wander off, and we do wander off, but the Lord brings us back, correct? If we desire that, he will help us to come back. And I want, I want you to remember that throughout this message because God taught uh, through Paul a lot of things that Paul is saying is what I'm about to share is a lot of things that we need to do this and we don't need to do that. And just keep in mind as the Lord speaks things to you that maybe are off here or off there, there's always a way to be corrected. There's always a way to come back. So it's encouraging, and it's good when we're, we have to deal with issues in our life because we can grow in those situations. Um, verse 26, chapter 5, verse 26 says in Galatians, Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. A definition of conceited, excessively proud of oneself, vain. A conceited person often can't stand to hear about the accomplishments of others. They want the focus on themselves. The Lord wants us to have humble hearts and cheer each other on. We're to cheer each other on. We're supposed to be happy and encouraging when something goes well for someone else and take the focus off ourselves. Where is your focus today? Is it solely on yourself, or is it on yourself and others as well? Provoking, another thing Paul mentions in the scripture, to stir someone else up, to annoy. We never do that, do we, to anybody else? <laughs> to intentionally get someone else angry. Um, sometimes it's much easier to do that to people closer to us, because we know them so well, or they do us. We know how to push those buttons, right? Or they know how to push those buttons on us and watch out. But, but we just read that God wants us to exude love, peace, kindness, and self-control to one another. And the third part of that uh, scripture is envying each other. Uh, and envying each other, the definition of it is resentful longing to have someone else's possessions or other desirable attributes someone else has. For example, 
Oh, I wish I had their house. It's so nice. It's so big. It's so it's on the water. Or oh, I wish I had their car. And this isn't in a good way. This isn't an envying way. If when he's talking about here, um, oh boy, they they're loaded. I wish I had the money they had. Or geez, I wish I looked like she did. I wish I looked like he did. There's so many ways that we can we can allow envy to creep in. But um, in James 3, verse 16, it says, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. That is really sobering. You know, if, if you're finding yourself envying other people, hear that again in James 3, verse 16. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder. Your life is in disorder in every evil practice. It's very sobering. And when that happens, we are not appreciating fully the way God has created us and how he has created us in his own image. And we're to be content in our journey, correct? The more we focus on him, the Lord, the less these other things will hamper us. Thank God for how he made the wonderful, unique you. And also thank God for the people around you. Okay, in Galatians 6, verse 1, it says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. And there, there's a couple of things that come to mind for me in, in studying this. And the first is that we, you know, it says, be careful. If you go, for example, to talk someone that, let's say, is gossiping or spreading things or maligning people, and you go, or maybe with someone else, to correct that person or help them with that, and they say, hey, did you hear about this? And you're like, no, what? You know, this, this thing, you can go to try to correct and you can get sucked in. So that is one of the things the scripture is saying here. Be careful. The other part of that that's very important for us is whether we must go to others in love. If it's your spouse, your child, a friend, whoever it is, if you have some kind of word of correction for them, you need to speak to them in love. Because if, if I say to somebody, boy, you are, you know, you're angry all the time, you know, and I come off in a very strong, judgmental, negative, angry attitude, that is not what we're to do. That is not what scripture says we're to do. And it's not going to convey, if, if I'm trying to share something with someone to help correct, if I'm coming across the wrong, wrong way, that is not going to help anybody including ourselves. We are to give correction in love, but as important as we are to receive it in love. Um, and this is a really big point that I want to really make sure it gets across, is that whether we've been a Christian one month, a year, or 40 years, we're still always going to receive correction at times. 
because we're not perfect. We're not God. There's still things in our journey that the Lord is showing us and teaching us. You know, and our flesh doesn't like that, right? We don't want, whether it's sometimes if it's through a message being shared, somebody else sharing it, or when we're reading the word of the spirit, you know, our flesh doesn't want to hear it. But I just want to encourage you, when you know God is speaking to you about change, this isn't right in your life. Jim, this isn't right in your life. Don't dismiss it. Don't minimize it or avoid it. It's a good thing. It's a good thing when God wants to correct things in our lives because he loves us so much. Proverbs 3 verse 12 says, For the Lord disciplines those he loves, as a father the son he delights in. Think about when you, or some of you are raising children, or when you did. We love our children so much that part of it, though, is when they're off, we need to correct them, and hopefully correcting them in love. And it's the same thing for our Heavenly Father when he corrects us. Um, and that never stops, because if we aren't open to correction and change, we have a problem, no matter how long or short we've been a Christian, right? Our hearts need to be always be open. The other scripture, Proverbs 15.32, that relates to this, those who disregard discipline despise themselves, but the one who heeds correction gains understanding. So if you know that this scripture is saying, we despise ourselves when we're not open to change, when we're not open to becoming more like him. That's pretty sobering. And the good news is when we do change, and some things, let's be honest, some things take a long time. Some of the things we struggle with, it's not like it's going to end tomorrow. Sometimes. Some things may be a process, but that's okay. If our heart is right, God works with us. The Spirit works in our heart and helps us to change. Be, right? All right. Being in the Word, praying, being here. All right. Um, ver uh, verse 2 of chapter 6. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. What does it mean to carry each other's burdens? Burden here can mean a weight of personal and eternal significance. This is not minor. The added strength and encouragement of others can often be the difference between pressing on and giving up. It's huge. Never underestimate the significance of walking with others. Let's face it, the Christian journey is difficult at times. And we need one another to make it through. God didn't create us to walk a path by ourselves. And if today, maybe you're doing that, maybe you're isolated or you feel isolated, that is not God's plan for your life. Um, we have to walk together. We have to encourage one another. 
it's huge. Um, I'll give you an example of when I when I've run the half marathon. That's the race that I've run many times. It's 13.1 miles. It's long. <laughs> Um, but just giving you an example in that setting, like my wife and family, they're there at the beginning. They're there in the middle. They're there at the end. I can rely on them to be there to cheer for me. Many years, Chad and the boys have been there as well. And it helps. It helps running that race. And there are a lot of people lining the course. And it's difficult. I mean, when you're running um, long, it's not easy. Um, and one, one thing that happened one year in addition to that is the race that I run, it starts in Portland, it goes out to Falmouth and back. And when you, you come through Payson Park, if you know Portland, and then you come on to Back Cove for the last two miles. And when you hit Back Cove, it's like you just want to finish. You know, it's just so tough. It's like you've prepared, you've worked. It's like the finish line's almost there. And one year, and that last stretch, there's not many people there cheering you on because they've gone to the finish. So, um, they're, so anyways, you're, one year, it may have been the last time I ran, I was about three-quarters of a mile from the finish. And um, this, there were these two guys standing on the, on the path, and one of the guys yelled to me, and he said, because I was, you know, so close, but you're so tired, and he's like, come on. He's, he was looking specifically, and he says, come on, they are holding a finisher's medal for you. And it's like, it was, it was amazing, because it, that encouragement prompted me to finish and finish well. And um, when I think back at that, that obviously was a guy that has run, was a runner. He's obviously a guy that knows what it's like to run long and how difficult it can be near the end. And, and he provided special encouragement for me there. He didn't know me. He had no idea, and I didn't know who he was. And that type of thing is what we're called to do. We have times, we have people in our lives that we need to be encouraging on a regular basis. We should be encouraging. And I want to ask you to ask yourself, are you encouraging people throughout the week? Is that, because scripture is very strong, I'll read this in a minute, that that's really not an option for us. That's what we're called to do. We are called to encourage one another. And I would say to you, if you honestly can't answer yes, to, to start stepping out in that. Because people will say, well, nobody's encouraging me, so why should I encourage somebody else? Well, I'll tell you what, if you start encouraging someone, you're going to get blessed. You are going to be blessed more than you realize. Um, or I'm too busy. I'm too busy. I don't have time to do that. Yes, you do. We're all, we all can make the time to connect with someone. Call them on the phone. Connect. When I'm in the men, with the men in the men's breakfast here, as you guys know, I'm always talking and encouraging connection with one another. It's huge. Then there's no substitute for it. First Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you were doing. That was 1 Thessalonians 5.11. And then Proverbs 12.25 says, Anxiety in a man's heart 
weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. You never know what somebody else is going through. And you can think, well, I could call them, but it's not going to matter. It matters. It matters. However the person responds, it matters. Geez, somebody took the time out to reach out to me. Somebody took the time to see how I was doing. It matters. And it makes the difference between some people falling off their path. You know, we all need encouragement. Philippians chapter 2, I'm not going to read it, but that chapter provides great expressions about living for others in Christ. Okay, verse 3 says, If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. That scripture is talking about pride. We, sometimes we think we're above other people. We focus on ourselves. We can easily look down on other people. We judge other people. We don't want to help others. We're so focused on ourselves at times, we don't want to help anybody else. This is wrong, and it's sin. And just ask yourselves, do you feel like you're above other people, whether it's Christian or non-Christian? Judgment can creep into any for any of us very easily. And God, that is to go. God wants us to love one another. You know, sometimes people with pride equate themselves to God, which is totally false. And never the case. Again, we must have a humble heart to see others the way God wants us to see them. Verse, verse 4 and 5. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. This may appear like it contradicts what I shared earlier, but it doesn't. We do all have our own load to bear. It's up to us individually to live for Christ. We make that decision. And then we make the decisions and choices how we're going to live our Christian walk. That's totally up to us. Nobody else can live your life for you. And you can't live your life for anybody else. We have that responsibility to live our own life for the Lord. It's our decisions to spend time in the Word, <clears throat> time in prayer, for example. The earlier burdens I talked about that Paul was sharing, about helping others in weakness and struggle, <clears throat> Paul's referring to mutual accountability and personal responsibility. They are different, but they go hand in hand. Okay, um, verse 6 says, Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. This brings up a couple of areas that I don't think are really talked too much in the church, and maybe because normally it's the pastor teaching, the primary pastor. But this scripture, the first thing is, both the teachers of the word and hearers of the word benefit from the teaching and the hearing of the gospel. 
the person teaching is benefit as they've prepared and they're sharing. And the hearers are benefiting because they're hearing the word and explanation to go along with it. Pastor and the hearers mutually share in the blessings of the gospel. Isn't it a blessing to hear the word and be taught and learned by the word? So that's one big thing. The second thing is Paul's also talking in part about financial compensation for the preacher or the pastor. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 14, makes this clear. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. Now, that doesn't always happen, but fortunately in our church, it does. Chad is paid full-time from the tithes and offerings from our church body. So he can focus on the word pastoring the church and not have to worry about where his income is coming from. That's a blessing to him that the church is extending. In addition, there are times we as a church do special offerings we have for them, like for the baby or for the, um, for during pastoral month last fall. There were different things like that. People will bless them individually, the family. All those things are good things. That we, need, I want, that we need to keep doing to bless the pastor and his family as they bless us and fellowship as well. And the final thing I want to say about Chad is that we're very fortunate in this body because Chad brings the word every week. His emphasis is on the word of God. His teaching is on the word of God. It's not about a lot of side things or peripheral things. Our main focus is, his main focus for us is the word, right? We're, we're blessed for that, to be taught and soundly from the word and not from somewhere else. It's the word of God that we hear week in and week out. And that's a real blessing for us in the body. All right, Galatians 6, verse 7 and 8. Say, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Okay, this kind of ties back a ways. But I just want to say, God will not be mocked. Whoever chooses to leave their life to to live their life to please their flesh will end up in destruction. Whoever chooses to live their life to please the Spirit will reap eternal life. These are opposite items, but I do want to clarify something. When we choose the path of the Spirit as Christians, we will still, we do and will still fail and sin at times because we're still human, we're not perfected the way the Lord is, that will happen. But as Christians, we should be repenting of those sins, moving on, growing closer to him. We continue to press into the word and to pray, to worship him in fellowship with others. All right? That's the difference between that and people that just sin and sin, completely doing their own thing, no repentance, thinking it's okay, they're going to be in trouble. 
There's, it's a question of our heart, where we're at. Are we desiring to grow when we fail? Are we desiring to move on? God doesn't expect perfection from us, but he does expect obedience. I'm going to say that again. God doesn't expect perfection from us, but he does expect obedience. Obedience is the result of the Spirit working in us. And I, I know this is, um, can be difficult to hear, but it's actually encouraging. Because like I said earlier, there are areas that we have to work at and work at and work at. Oh, this happened again. But it's like, no, Lord, help me. Help me to change. That's okay. That's what he wants. He wants us to desire him. He knows, we, he knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows what we struggle with. He knows what we deal with. But he wants a heart that wants to become closer to him, right? Amen. All right, so verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Do good to everyone. Share the gospel with others. Not just your family, not just your friends, everyone. Do good to people you are comfortable being around and those you're not as comfortable being around. We must never look down on anyone, even though we do at times. Let's be encouraged to all for him. Hebrews 10, verse 24 to 25 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. It's, church attendance is critical for us as a body. It's, our, it's evidence of our love for Christ's church. Christ is the, church is the primary way that the believer is fed, nurtured, and grows. And also, like I mentioned earlier, the connection throughout is important, that we connect with one another outside of church. I'm going to show you this. This is um, when I f finish a half marathon. Um, this is the fin this is the most one of the most recent races I ran, the finisher's medal, and um, it's such a. I have to say, when you finish that race, it's so, it feels so good. It's such a relief, and this and this is a great sense of accomplishment. And once you cross that finishes line, they put this around your neck, and it's like, wow, I did it. You know, it's really, um, it means a lot. It means a lot at the time. Um, but I just want to say to you, this means nothing compared to the reward we're going to get when we get to heaven. It's not going to be anything. And anything else that any of us strive for on earth, it's going to mean nothing compared to when we enter heaven. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast until trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, the, which God has promised to those who love him. That's the ultimate finish for us. We're on our journey, aren't we, 
to one day receive the crown of life and be with the Lord. There's nothing more important than that. That's why it's so important and so that we support one another. And I know there was a lot of hard things in these scriptures today, but that's okay. We need to be challenged. But more in addition to that, we need to support one another, right? We need to love and encourage. So let's stand together.